Well, as Andrew shared, we are thrilled that you have chosen to be here at Southwest <clears throat> on this Easter weekend. Earlier this weekend, on, uh, we had a, a very chilly but good turnout on our Saturday extravaganza as we had about 250 kids out there on the hill behind us uh, picking up Easter eggs. And I always love to watch the different strategies of the different children. You know, there's some of those kids that want to get an even distribution of the different colors in the, in the basket. And then yesterday I saw one little boy that only wanted the light green eggs. I asked him if he liked the story Green Eggs and Ham, and his parents nodded, yes, he did. So it's just fun to see uh, Easter through the eyes of children. But it, and by the way, with that said, <clears throat> before you leave today, if you have children or if you're just a child at heart, we want to encourage you to make your way down the kids' hallway as you can see a display, an interactive uh, stations where you can see the story of Jesus unfold. It's a great way uh, to experience that with your children. We highly, highly encourage you as we want to celebrate Easter all weekend long. Every year at Southwest, we seek to look at the Easter message with a fresh perspective. This year and the weeks leading up to Easter, we have been looking at some very unique and fascinating stories from the Gospel of Mark. Now, if you're not real familiar with the Bible, there are four Gospels, Gospel accounts in the Bible, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And each of these, they tell the life, the teachings, the ministry, the death and resurrection of Jesus of Nazareth. The Gospel of Mark, which was most probably the first one recorded is also the shortest, is the most concise. And yet, with that said, there's some very fascinating, unique material in Mark's gospel. And we've been looking at a number of those stories leading up to Easter. Last week, if you were here, we examined Jesus' entry into Jerusalem the Sunday prior to His death on Friday. It's noteworthy that more than a third of Mark's gospel, chapters 11 through 16, deal with that week leading up to the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus. It's almost as if Mark is saying, unless you understand the crucifixion and the resurrection, you don't really get Jesus. After being arrested, tried and mocked by the Roman soldiers. We're told in Mark 15, beginning in verse 22, they brought Jesus to the place called Gotha, which means the place of the skull. Then they offered Him wine mixed with myrrh, but He did not take it. And they crucified Him. Dividing up His clothes, they cast lots to see what each would get. It was nine in the morning when they crucified Him. The written notice of the charge against Him read, the King of the Jews. In this very brief account, we're told some very significant details about the crucifixion of Jesus. 
And yet we'll notice that Mark records these and reports the telling of this story in a very matter-of-fact way. In fact, he just simply says, they crucified Him. This stands in sharp contrast to some of the other tellings of the Jesus story. In 2004, which is hard for me to believe, but was 18 years ago, Mel Gibson released a, a film entitled The Passion of the Christ, which was rated R, because it showed the violent, bloody death of Jesus on the cross. And although some described it as maybe excessive in the violence, I was personally moved by watching that portrayal of Jesus as I observed the suffering and the sacrifice of Jesus and what He experienced on the cross. I was so moved that that, that year I watched that film four times, just reflecting on the meaning of the crucifixion. There's no question that the physical pain of Jesus on the cross is, is recorded in, in some of the gospel accounts, but not so much in Mark's telling of the Jesus story. In some of the gospel accounts, there are moving emotional stories surrounding the crucifixion, including Jesus praying on behalf of those who crucified Him. When He prayed, Father, forgive them for they do not know what they are doing. Or telling the one repentant criminal next to him, truly I tell you today, you will be with me in paradise. Or looking after his mother when he said to John the apostle from the cross, here is your mother. As emotional and memorable as those accounts are, this is not the approach that Jesus, that Mark tells in his telling of Jesus' crucifixion. Instead, he just simply says in a very succinct way, and they crucified him. It appears to me as I read Mark's gospel, and I've read it all the way through and compared it to the other gospels preparing for this weekend. It appears to me that Mark's focus is not on the physical or the emotional pain that Jesus endured on the cross, which was very much present. But instead, Mark focuses on the spiritual pain that Jesus endured on the cross. My concern is that even though many did not understand it at the moment, those that were there witnessing it, my concern is that some 2,000 years later, there are still many who don't grasp the significance of what Jesus truly did on the cross. The religious leaders of Jesus' day, who should have been more attuned to the spiritual, didn't get it. As Mark records this in verse 31 of chapter 15, in the same way the chief priests and the teachers of the law mocked him among themselves. He saved others, they said, but he can't save himself. Let this Messiah, this King of Israel, come down now from the cross that we may see and believe. Although these religious leaders were taunting Jesus, the truth is 
that to truly save others, Jesus chose not to save Himself. We will see this even more fully developed in the verses to come. Now, to help set the mood of of the significances about what is about to happen, in the next verse, we read this in verse 33, at noon, darkness came over the whole land until three in the afternoon. Now, did you catch in the earlier reading when the crucifixion began? Mark is the only one that tells us, but he tells us it began at 9 a.m., And at noon, everything became dark for three hours. And then at 3 p.m., which was the time that the tradition was for for the Jewish leaders to to slaughter, I should say, to slaughter the Passover lamb, it's at that very moment that Jesus dies. And before His death, Jesus cried out in a loud voice, Eli, Eli, lama sakbachthani, which means, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? In Mark's telling of the crucifixion, these are the only words that he records coming from the mouth of Jesus during those six hours on the cross. Mark records both the Aramaic words that Jesus would have spoken, but also the translation of those words meaning, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Since these are the only words that Mark records, it seems that he's drawing attention to them. He wants us to see the significance of what Jesus said and why he said it. But these are the very words that tripped me up when I first began to to seek after God and to read about Jesus many years ago. I couldn't understand why did He say these words, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? It wasn't until someone pointed me to another Bible passage that described what Jesus accomplished on the cross that these words began to really makes sense to me. Later in the New Testament in 1 Peter, we read this following description of what Jesus accomplished on the cross. It describes Jesus, it says, He, Jesus Himself, bore our sins in His body on the cross so that we might die to sins and live for righteousness. By His wounds you have been healed. Throughout Scripture, we see this warning that sin separates us from a holy God. And for those of us, and I want to be the first to acknowledge it today, that I'm a sinner, I recognize that sin brings guilt, sin brings shame, and sin brings a sense of alienation from the God who created us. Yet Jesus had never sinned. And yet, 
when he was on the cross, although he had never experienced separation from himself and the Father, when he was hanging on the cross, he experienced that alienation. He experienced that separation from his Father, not for something he had done because he had never sinned, but for something I have done, for something you have done, and that is sin. This is why we as a church continually celebrate the death of Jesus Christ, not just at Easter, not just on Good Friday, but throughout the year. We do that through a simple act of communion. And my hope and prayer is that today, as we prepare for a very meaningful time of communion, that you will not only focus on the words that we've read and the significance and the meaning of what the cross was all about, the spiritual pain that Jesus endured for each and every one of us, but that you also listen closely to the words that are about to be sung and allow these words to speak into your heart. And following this beautiful song that we're about to listen to, our hope, our prayer is at this time a reflection and communion has helped make the cross just a little bit near to you and your heart. I know that we've just finished the time of communion and singing about the empty grave. But we have to remember that at the end of that eventful day on Friday in which we previously read where Jesus died on the cross that later that day his dead corpse was buried in a tomb provided by Joseph of Arimathea and that tomb was sealed and from all appearances this Jesus movement that had been growing and and gaining more and more followers over a three-year period appeared to be completely over and done. Have you ever been a part of something that you thought was going to really lead to something great? But then it didn't. This happened to me earlier this year when I became convinced that my alma mater, Purdue University, was going to the Final Four. We'd been highly ranked all year, and I was convinced that we were going to make it to the Final Four for the first time since I was in college in 1980. I was a child prodigy, obviously. But the the truth of it was, as, as we got into the tournament, we made to the round of Sweet 16, I started pricing tickets. I started looking at travel costs to go to New Orleans. I even arranged someone else to preach the weekend of Final Four because I was convinced that this was going to happen. But then it didn't. And honestly, I was I was crushed. But at the end of the day, I remembered it's just a sport. It's just a sports team. 
And there's always next season. And, and in just that week, the Reds were going to start playing. So I, sure, I was sure something brighter was on the horizon. I think my, after recognizing my two and seven Reds, I think maybe I need to start looking for a new team. But back to our story. On the day of, after the crucifixion, that Saturday, I'm thinking that the first followers of Jesus must have been really heartbroken and down. They had been on Team Jesus. And they believed that they were going to change the world. And yet now their leader had died and was buried. The next day, that day, that Saturday was a Sabbath. It, it was the day for the Jewish people to rest and reflect. We can only imagine what those first followers of Jesus must have been thinking about as their exciting three-year ride with Jesus had come to a very abrupt ending, at least they thought. We can only assume that these first followers were making arrangements to maybe return to their hometown, maybe to return to their previous line of work. And yet we're told by Mark that there were some women who'd been following Jesus for some time. And out of their faithful desire to honor the dead body of Jesus, they returned to that tomb on Sunday. The same tomb that they had seen Jesus buried two days earlier. Mark records in the last chapter of his gospel in Mark 16, this description. When the Sabbath day was over, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go to anoint Jesus' body. Very early on the first day of the week, just after sunrise, they were on their way to the tomb, and they asked each other, who will roll away, who will roll the stone away from the entrance of the tomb? I find this fascinating. Here we see these three women who'd been truly impacted by the ministry and teaching of Jesus. Mary Magdalene, who'd been healed by Jesus. Mary, the mother of James. Now, we know that Jesus had a half-brother named James, and, and so I think this was Mary, the mother of Jesus. And then this woman, only mentioned by Mark, named Salome, was most likely the mother of James and John, some of Jesus' first followers. These women had all had their lives radically changed by Jesus. And as a result, they were going to be loyal to make sure that Jesus received the burial that he deserved. And yet, did you catch the conversation that they had on their way to the tomb? Mark is the only one that records this. I find it somewhat comical because even though they have bought spices, they're planning to go anoint the body at the tomb, they have not thought through how they're going to get into the tomb. And they say, what are we going to do? How are we going to get that stone rolled away? 
Now, personally, I can relate to this response because I tend to respond in life to difficult situations from either my gut or my heart. If you're an Enneagram fan, I'm either in that gut triad or heart triad. If you don't know what I'm talking about, you can research that. But, but I can relate to these women responding out of their instincts to serve Jesus. And their devotion to Jesus is rewarded as we read in the next verse, verse 4. But when they looked up, they saw that the stone, which was very large, had been rolled away. Now, this is a reminder that a follower of Jesus is called to live a life of faith in which we believe that God can accomplish what we cannot humanly accomplish. The Christian faith is, is based on believing in an all-powerful God who can do the impossible, a God who can create this universe out of nothing, a God who can miraculously intervene so that a virgin gives birth to a son, a God who can become flesh, a God who can calm storms, heal the lepers, heal the lame, the blind, a God who can raise the dead, a dead body from the grave, and a God who can remove a stone too big for three women to move on their own power. And so I want to ask you on this Easter Sunday, is there something that you've been facing in your life that you've not allowed room for God to, to do by His power? Have you been limiting yourself as you face life challenges to human-sized strength solutions? Possibly it's something you're facing at school or at work or in the financial area or health situation in which you haven't considered the possibility of God's miraculous intervention. Possibly it's a strained relationship with a friend, a sibling, a child, or a coworker in which you've been seeking human solutions, but you need to begin to consider God solutions. Possibly it's a broken relationship or a marriage in which you've lost all hope of reconciliation. You've tried through human effort to bring about bargaining or compromise or even manipulation, but maybe you need to begin to ask God to intervene to move stones that are too big for you to move or to move hearts that only He can move. Are you leaving room for God to remove large stones too big for you to move? I'm glad that these women responded in faith, even if they hadn't figured it all out, because they're just responding in their hearts to a Jesus that they had come to love and to honor. And in the midst of all that, God provided a way. As we see in the resurrection of Jesus, as we see told in the next verse, of verse 5, as they entered the tomb, they saw a young man dressed in a white robe sitting on the right side, and they were alarmed. Now, although Mark doesn't tell us the identity of this young man, we can determine by the startled response of the women and by the young man's response that this is an angel. And he says in verse 6, don't be alarmed. 
You are looking for Jesus the Nazarene who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. So the place, see the place where they laid him, but go tell his disciples and Peter, he is going ahead of you into Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. I love Mark's telling of the empty tomb. As we see this individual angel giving good news and specific instructions to these three bewildered, amazed, and yet loyal women. Did you catch what he told them? He told them that Jesus has risen, and that's what we're here to celebrate today, right? Jesus has risen. This is the good news. The angel said, he's no longer here. Check out for yourselves. See the place where they laid him. Now, this approach was important for me many years ago when I began my faith journey. Because even though I'd grown up in church, I struggled with faith. I wrestled, did I really believe this stuff that the church proclaimed? And so, I came to that point in my life where I said, I'm going to investigate for myself. And I began reading the Bible. I began reading what others said about Jesus. And I began to ask myself the tough questions. Did I really believe in the resurrection? I asked the tough question that really became very convincing to me. How did all the people who wanted to silence this Jesus movement, all the people of power, all the people that had resources at their hand. I mean, think the Roman army. And they couldn't do the, the one thing that would have stopped all this movement in its tracks. What was the one thing that they could have done that would have stopped everything? Produce a dead body. They couldn't do it. Why? Because he has risen. And so I became convinced that Jesus has risen. And because of that realization and because of that conviction, everything began to change in my life. How about you? Do you believe in the resurrection? Possibly somebody dragged you here, maybe a friend or a family member, and yet you're not really convinced that what we're proclaiming today is true, then I want to encourage you to do what I did many years ago. Check it out for yourself. In that gift bag that, that Andrew mentioned, and by the way, if you are a guest here today, I want to encourage you to stop by and pick up one of the gift bags. If for no other reason, there's this, this New Testament, this easy-to-read version of the Bible, and we want to encourage you to begin reading it and examine for yourself. And I want to even challenge you to see if you won't find that the teachings of Jesus are true, they ring true, and when you apply them to your life, they work. I know they have in my life. Yet it's important to take to heart what the angel told them, those first women that went to the tomb. Did you catch what he said? He said, if you put into practice what I'm instructing you today, namely go tell his disciples and go tell Peter, 
then you will see him. Now that's quite a contrast to how the religious leaders had spoken to Jesus when he was hanging on the cross. What did they say? They said, come down from, now from the cross that we may see and believe. In other words, when we see, then we will believe. And yet the angel instructions to these women are just the opposite. Believe, put into practice what I'm telling you, and then you will see him. So many of us down deep, I know I was for years, are like doubting Thomas. And we say, once I see, then I'll believe. Yet the Christian faith requires that we believe and put into practice, and then we're promised we will see. In other words, we've heard all of our lives that believing is seeing, and yet the resurrection scene in Mark's gospel reminds us, like these women, if we will believe and put into practice what, what Jesus says, then we will see. As I've dug into Mark's gospel preparing for this message, I've come to the conclusion that Mark's telling of the Jesus story ends in verse 8. In fact, in most Bibles, there's this footnote that verses 9 through 16, which reads very similar to the other gospels, but verses 9 through 16 were not in the earliest transcripts. It appears to me that Mark finishes his gospel different than the other three. He finishes very abruptly in verse 8. He finishes without us ever seeing the resurrected Jesus in his account. And although it seems too abrupt for many of us, and I think that's why some scribes maybe later wrote that ending that just seemed to want to be set, told. But I think Mark wrote it for a particular reason as he was inspired by God. In verse 8, it says, Trembling and bewildered, the women went out after receiving this instruction from the angel and fled from the tomb. They said nothing to anyone because they were afraid. I think Mark, who was a master at telling stories, ends his telling of his gospel account in such a way to put us into the story so that we can feel what these women must felt and so that we can ask ourselves the hard questions. How am I going to respond if I've never personally seen the resurrected Jesus? And I wanna ask in this Easter, how are you going to respond to the empty tomb? Even though you've never seen with your own eyes the resurrected Jesus. Are you going to be like these women who give initially into fear and not tell others about this good news? Are we going to be like the people of Jesus' day saying, when I see, then I'll believe? Or are we going to take to heart the instructions of this angel, the instructions of Jesus, and put into practice what we have been told, trusting 
that if we believe and act upon our belief, then we will eventually see. What is your response to the empty tomb? Are you willing to believe so you can see? I know in my own life, as I've trusted and believed with all my heart that Jesus came back from the dead, and I believe he's alive at the Father's right hand, and that's why I live the, the life I've been called to live is because I believe that with all my heart. But I have seen Jesus show up in my life and show up in ways that are just amazing, not with eyes, my physical eyes, but with spiritual eyes. How about you? At this time, we're going to hear a special song that we want to encourage you just to sit and to listen and to soak up the meaning of these words. Put yourself in the place of these women who first visited that tomb that first Sunday and ask yourself, what is going to be your response to the empty tomb? Is it just another Easter? Is it just another holiday? Or are you going to put into practice what Jesus has taught you to do? If you have a response today to the service and you want maybe somebody to come alongside you and encourage you, help you, there's two ways you can do that. In the bulletin, there's a communication card slip. You can tear it along the perforation, put it in one of the boxes before you leave by the doors. We'd love to know how we can pray for you. Maybe you've been looking for human solutions when you need to turn to God's solutions. Let us know how we can pray for you. Maybe there's someone here today that you're ready to, to truly believe, put your faith into practice. Maybe for the first time, turn from an old life, trust Jesus in baptism so you can experience the death, the burial, and resurrection in your own life and begin a new life trusting that if you believe and put into practice, you'll see Jesus show up in your life. If that's you, we'd love to know how we can assist you. We have water ready. I can think of no better day to be baptized than on Easter Sunday. If you're ready to take that step, let us know. Let me know. And think about what is your response to the empty tomb. Yes, because he's risen, goodbye is not the end. We're so glad you're here today celebrate Easter with Southwest. If you'd like to learn more about us as a church, the very best way to do that is to participate in one of our upcoming starting point classes. We're going to have an opportunity even this week on Thursday. So you can learn more about the core beliefs of Southwest. Maybe if you're new to the Bible, new to Jesus, you're saying, hey, I want to learn what it means to follow Him. Or maybe you've already made that decision in the past, but maybe you'd like to learn how you can follow Him Him with others here at Southwest. We'd love for you to be a part of that. But we also want you to know next Sunday we'll be meeting again, and we're going to be looking at a very important, very important topic for us as a church. You know, our vision statement is that we believe we're a faith community where we want to see lives changed and families strengthened and purpose found in Jesus. And next week we're going to talk about what it means to strengthen families and how we all play a part in, in being dedicated to, to share good news with the next generation so that they will become followers of Jesus as well. And so we want to encourage you to come back for that. And then in May, we're going to kick off a very important series where we're going to just talk about, let's talk about 
some of the challenges that we face in everyday life, some of the mental health challenges people face, and how God's Word has solutions for those challenges. Yet on this Easter Sunday, we want to conclude our service with a song that gives us an opportunity to all state with our words and say with our heart that we believe that He is risen, that we believe that these teachings are true. And I want to encourage you, as if you're able to stand and sing, and let's sing out like we believe that these words are true. And let's remember, if we believe and put into action our belief, then we will see the resurrected Jesus.